0: Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast of the Holland Sentinel. I am reporter Arpan Lobo and today I am joined by our managing editor Audra Gamble and we are back again, Yet
1: again. <laughs> to
0: talk about the latest Democratic debate. This one happened on Tuesday, February 25th. Um, not even a week after the last one, but here we are again, Audra.
1: Always, We will always be here to wrap up what happened.
0: And you know, in our, la- uh, in our last debate, we or in our last podcast about the debate, we spoke about how this was a very productive right. debate. Um, yeah, and we how talked about
1: all these you know topics that, that hadn't been touched on. Things, things
0: were kind of you know breaking through and you got a very clear picture. Right. Um, if you tuned in for the first time last night, we're you sorry. You did not get a clear picture <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. A very muddled debate. It was uh, messy. A debate where the moderators from CBS t- totally lost control very early on. Right. And never got it back through the night. Um, and it was something that if, if you weren't decided last night.
1: I don't know that this debate helped you whatsoever.
0: Right. In fact, it might have only been a hindrance. Uh, <laughs> it might have sure. only made things harder for you. If you've already decided who you're voting for. You uh, probably didn't tune yeah. in. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think if I, if I were a voter that, uh, it, it, you know, if I knew who I was voting for, for this at this point two sure. weeks uh, from the primary i wouldn't tune into these you know debates but there are a lot of people that did and uh i guess we'll try and break it down for them we'll do
1: our best, best we folks.
0: Can. <laughs> um, so audra let's start we were chatting about how this debate was such a, such a kind of a shouting match right in part because this was the first debate where bernie sanders was truly uh kind of pegged as the front runner right um he had a extremely strong showing in nevada uh the saturday before uh, taking close to i believe 50 percent of the vote which is um in such a crowded field that was a pretty staggering number and the other candidates knew it and they made it a point to kind of attack bernie on issues like electability some of his recent comments about different regimes uh in history and things like that so I'll, i'll ask you first how do you think After all the, you know, kind of shouting matches, how do you think that Sanders fared um, dealing with these kind of, you know, attacks from the other candidates?
1: Yeah, I definitely think of the debates that we've seen so far. And this was the 10th. Oh, my gracious. Sheesh. (laughs) That's a big oof from the both of us. This debate, for sure, Sanders got the most flack from the other candidates. In the past, there have been kind of bigger fish to fry. Or, you know, we saw at, at the last debate that Bloomberg was was kind of the new kid on the block. And everybody rallied to kind of give him a taste of what they've been going through for the past few months. But with the debates from Nevada being so stark, the, the results from Nevada, I apologize, I I think that he Sanders really got the majority of the the flack from the other candidates. Now, there were a couple of, I'll say, tense moments among all of this very confusing crosstalk with, um, you know, Warren going after Bloomberg again. And that was kind of a like, oh, my gracious moment. And there were some some other, you know, little squabbles. But the vast majority of the night, particularly some of the questions from the moderators were very much structured to ask Sanders some of the more controversial parts of his his policies including how he's going to pay for his health care plan, which really just disintegrated into everyone shouting over each other for quite a length of time. Um, There were other moments that, you know, really stood out, including some very tense exchanges between Sanders and and Biden, as well as other candidates on the stage about foreign policy.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought up Sanders and Biden, because Biden kind of took a new approach that we haven't seen in these debates, when kind of, because most, you know, the kind of uh, the, the standard attack on Bernie is, oh, you're too progressive. right? How are you going to, you know, get, you know, Pete just kept bringing up, oh, you're going to you know, hurt the down ticket races. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good faith argument just because we haven't seen that so far. It's, it's tough to kind of go on that. But uh, Joe Biden, to his credit, brought up a new angle. He talked about Bernie's prior votes to gun control legislation and which uh he brought up the brady bill specifically and uh he said that bernie had voted against it five times and he got bernie to admit that they were bad votes and i think that's that's good for bernie to just get out in front of that and saying yeah i messed up and he pointed out that now i have a very bad rating from the nra um it, his d minus might probably is probably the second highest on the stage instead of a, uh, I i bet mike bloomberg's still ahead of him but um <laughs> You know, his D-minus comparatively to other progressive uh, figures isn't exactly the best. But he did point out that he goes, when I am president, I am going to make life very difficult for the NRA. So to his credit. But I thought Joe Biden was able to kind of wedge himself back into there before a primary, which he absolutely needs to. Right win I, right. I think it wouldn't be enough if you finish the second behind bernie sanders i think that's still not good enough even he, even if it's only by a few percentage points he's talked about this entire campaign right everything, south carolina, hinges. everything hinges on south carolina right and if he can't come out of there with a win and bernie sanders goes into another diverse state and get, gets the coalition because bernie is talking about it too he said we have a very wide wide coalition of white black latino asian native american voters and as these states get more diverse and Bernie continues to do well, this is something that's really going to be crucial for Biden because it might be the end if he, if he doesn't perform well in South Carolina.
1: Right, and, and this debate really gave Biden the opportunity to kind of capitalize on what what is one of his strongest aspects as a candidate, which is his foreign policy experience. Experience. Uh, You know, this was one of the reasons that Barack Obama chose him as a running mate in 2008. You know, Biden can stand up on that stage, which he did several times last night and say, you know, you guys are talking about, you know, the leader of China, you're talking about Cuba, you're talking about, um, I forget any specific other, you know, leaders of of state that he was talking about. But he said, I've been in the rooms with these people. You know, they know who I am. I have rapports with these individuals, which, you know, even senators that may be, you know, on a foreign relations um uh, commission or something like that, it, it's not quite the same level of you know access that, say, a vice president would have received.
0: Right. That's his selling point, is right. that he has this you know vast amount of experience. Uh, foreign policy was kind of touched on more than previously. Uh, recently, uh, Bernie Sanders did an interview with 60 Minutes into which he praised Fidel Castro in Cuba for uh, instituting uh, literacy and health care and he didn't really back down on those comments. Right. We, were, we were talking about, before we recorded, about how you could tell that the other candidates wanted to kind of go at him. Oh, you praised Fidel Castro. But at the same time, they couldn't just go out, oh, well, health care and education are bad things. Because, because that,
1: they're Democratic staples. Right, exactly. <laughs> sure. And, you know,
0: if, if you attack that. And I thought I thought uh, Bernie went When that question came up, he immediately went out to goes, well, you know, sure, I said these things about Castro, but he he goes, well, let's talk about China. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia. When I'm president, I won't be, you know, cozying up to them. I won't be cozying up to authoritarian regimes. He went after Mike Bloomberg, and I thought Bloomberg handled this terribly. Um, by refusing to straight out call uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, uh, an, author- an, author- an authoritarian leader. Sorry about that. Bloomberg had this like weird part where he's like, "Oh well, he listens to his constituents." And then yeah, and Bernie, talking
1: about like an electorate and, right, and right,
0: Bernie right. was like, what are you talking about? And it was something where it, it just, you know, again, pointed out how different Bloomberg is for the rest of the candidates. Well, OK,
1: so let's talk about Bloomberg's performance in this debate compared to the last one, because the last debate we had some pretty harsh things to say about his performance. Do you think that he improved at all this this? this second debate of
0: his? So think, think of it as like, you know, a basketball team. If they go and they lose one night by 40, you know, they lose 100 to 60. And the next game they lose 80 to 55. They lost by 35 this time. Technically, their margin is improving, but they still lost, and they still did not do well. Now I thought I, that's the vibe I got from Bloomberg. It just – what stands out to me is that he is clearly trying to entrench himself as – I am the candidate to beat Donald Trump. I am the candidate that has, you know, that's the most electable. I have the best experience. But to me, he just, he doesn't, he seems like he's a, you know, because he he used to be a Republican. And it seems like he's still kind of stuck in that mindset. And we talked about this last time too. He sticks out like a sore thumb on that stage. You have Democratic socialists like Bernie Sanders who still seem closer to the center or closer to the center of the left, like you know where most the moderate candidates are. That Mike Bloomberg does. When Mike Bloomberg started talking about marijuana, I thought, wow, where where is this guy getting at? He was he mentioned that oh we're going to we're going to introduce funding to get people treatment. I'm you know for me I just hear that and I think you know aggressives are trying to champion themselves on being oh we're gonna get rid of marijuana uh, you know nonviolent marijuana convictions we're gonna make it legal we're gonna you know control it and we're gonna stop Bernie Sanders even pointed it out that now it's being traded as a same treated as the same, uh, as the same uh, drug classification as heroin and that's something that all the other candidates said okay we're going to make sure it's legal and we can control it and yet you have Mike Bloomberg who's just like I don't know guys like this reefer stuff could be really bad and sure you know, we, we've seen it in Michigan ourselves that there's still, you know, some people that are affronted to it and that a lot of governments have said, oh, well, maybe it's not for us. That's fine. But when Mike Bloomberg goes, oh, well, these people who are taking it, they need to be treated. That's where you start to cross some lines into where I'm like, OK, this is not a progressive item. And if the Democrats want to be progressives and kind of champion themselves as we're the modern party that's not a stance that you know can be taken going forward
1: i do think that bloomberg appeared slightly more comfortable on the stage just in terms of kind of the flow of how a debate goes and you know the the rules although the rules weren't really followed <laughs> by any of the candidates uh he also received the second most speaking time of any candidate uh sanders was far and above uh given the most time he was given a little less than 15 and a half minutes bloomberg was second at uh, 13 and a, and a half minutes. Klobuchar just behind him, Uh, then Warren, then Biden. Buttigieg was at 11 and a half minutes, and Tom Steyer was all the way down at the bottom with seven minutes. Oof. Um, I also wanted to note, I thought it was kind of telling that while Bloomberg felt or appeared to feel more comfortable kind of being in the mix this time around, he still didn't have An answer on some of the more controversial moments from the first debate he was in that landed really well with the audience. And by those, I mean, you know, his his stop and frisk policy. He's still. Um, took quite a beating from Elizabeth Warren about the nondisclosure agreements that he had with some previous employees. You know, yet again, one of the first questions of the night was was about um, Bloomberg's support of the stop and frisk policy when he was mayor of New York. I just don't necessarily know that his, you know, I've apologized, let's move on line lands that well with particularly voters of color. And it offered an opportunity for Pete Buttigieg to have this moment where he could try, at least, to make up some ground with voters of color, where um, one of the, the moderators said, you know, Mayor Buttigieg, mayor to mayor, how do you feel about, you know, this, this policy that, that Bloomberg enacted? Um, and Buttigieg, uh, you know, immediately calls the, the stop, and fisk, stop and frisk policy racist, but then went a step further and said, um, you know, I recognize that there are seven white people on this stage, um, and none of us have that lived experience you know that um, a black person in New York or, or anywhere else you know in the United States have had with a police officer, and we need to be listening to them about what those experiences are as we you know try to enact policy. Um, that was one of the kind of calmer moments of the debate, if we can, <laughs> you know, kind of piece some of those out. And um, I thought that he had um, you know those those kind of very concise, you know, word bitey moments that Buttigieg has been having um, that kind of broke through the noise for a brief moment and then after that answer happened that we went right back to all of the crosstalk.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's something that uh, Mayor Pete has been very good at throughout his campaign is kind of getting these kind of uh, speak speaking moments. A lot of his critics will say that there's no substance behind them and that, you know, you, you can decide uh, ta- you can take from that what you will but I did think that his point about as you said, you know, we don't have that 1st Experience that's something that I think is a, it's a refreshing admission, sure. especially when you have seven people trying to say that I'm the one to fix it. Right. Um, well, so- and
1: especially when there were candidates of color that that dropped out earlier in the race. Mm-hmm. You know, that conversation would have been much different if Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or Julian Castro or Andrew Yang were still on that stage and could speak from personal experience of you know as a candidate of color, this is how you know I feel about this issue. It, it comes from a much more genuine place than I'm yet another middle-aged white guy that's on this stage and let me tell you about my feels about being a person of color even though I'm not one like you know the, those answers just land very differently.
0: Right, right I think that's a good point um, while we're on Buddha Judge, he and uh, Sanders had this kind of exchange where they talked about whether or not bernie was too radical as a Mm -hmm. candidate and pete to judge was saying well well you know you talk about denmark all the time but even they don't have some of these they don't go as far as you do in terms of like healthcare and stuff and uh i thought that was kind of an interesting debate um the one thing that pete said that kind of didn't Land with me was he said. We don't need the um, radical politics of the 1960s, and I thought, well, maybe we shouldn't be calling the 1960s radical. I understood what he was talking about, sure. where he was talking about, because I believe this was while they were still on the Castro, uh, yes, I believe so, yes. and maybe he was comparing it to that because sure. uh, the Cuban Revolution started in the 50s, I believe, and went on through the yeah, 60s. Yeah, I think
1: I think that you know I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said, you know, I I don't like that this debate is you know whether we should stick with policies. For from the 50s or the 60s i think we need to move forward to the future and it, i think it's part of you know his pitch that you know i'm i'm a millennial i'm i'm not you know 77 or 78 years old i have a fresh perspective i in recent years was an active member of the military you know i'm i'm different than than everybody else on this stage kind of thing mm-hmm. but i think that there also is something to be said about the average primary voter and the age of said average primary voter is generally higher who may remember and have lived through those policies of the 50s and 60s um, and may not have taken so kindly to that sort of statement.
0: And also the 60s were a time for great civil rights movements in the uh, country. Obviously um, the, the end of segregation and things like that but there were also uh major pushes for other marginalized groups not so it just to me I, I think that i understood what pete was trying to say i i'm just not sure that it landed don't quite think as it landed well. quite sure. as well one thing that I, I think we should talk about and we we Spoke of this when we were when we were planning. Bernie Sanders was asked a question about why he didn't support APAC, and that mm-hmm. is a um, I'll, I'll let you uh, <laughs> through this because you're better versed in this than I am. Um, but so, yeah. so what? Can you explain to us? What, so Bernie Sanders said that he didn't support APAC. He supports a two state solution with Israel and Palestine, right. and he thinks that Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu is a racist. Can you explain uh, to the listeners why is this a controversial stance? And why is this something that could hurt or help but yeah, likely hurt a big question mark. Um, <laughs> um, Bernie, Bernie's kind of chances in the long yeah, run?
1: Yeah, so so Bernie Sanders is Jewish. And the the question from the moderators were, you know, Senator Sanders, you're Jewish. Can you explain, you know, why you're so against this very um, wealthy and popular political action um Committee in the U.S. It's called APAC. Um, they funnel a lot of money to get the U.S. to send money for military aid to, to Israel, and among other things, um, it's a fairly hawkish organization, um, generally pro Benjamin Netanyahu. Although you know, it's it's not kind of a blanket statement. Um, it's it's a controversial stance, um, particularly among Jewish voters who statistically are really solidly in the Democratic camp. However. There is this kind of connotation that um, what may be most important to a Jewish voter is a candidate's stance on political policy in Israel, which I don't necessarily feel is, I mean, that's kind of saying to to a black voter that the only thing that they care about is you know racist housing policies which i'm sure they absolutely do care about but it's not this monolithic thing that you know every black voter or every jewish voter will only choose a candidate based on one portion of their policy but it often is the only time that israel is brought up in in a debate when they're talking about senator standard stance to it um and and he basically said you know Benjamin Netanyahu is a racist he said those words Um, he also said that you know a two-state solution in Israel um, is the only way. And then there was conversation among some of the other candidates, you know, about what those borders should be, about settlements in Israel, which are um, very controversial. Mike Bloomberg called them new communities because he couldn't think of the word settlements, which ooh is kind of a swing and a miss there um, because they are so controversial. But there is this concern that not having a really hawkish stance and kind of being in, in the camp with Benjamin Netanyahu Netanyahu will damage Sanders' chances with Jewish voters who then may be shopping for a different candidate. I don't necessarily know how true that is, but it is a risk for sure. I think it's just important to remember that Benjamin Netanyahu is also a very polarizing figure, um, and I think a lot of Jewish voters in the U.S feel very strongly either against or toward him. And so it's it's definitely a gamble to talk about these stances, you know, as a Jewish candidate. But you also kind of wish that that could just be talked about as a policy stance rather than, well, you're Jewish. You must love everything that Israel does because it's not quite that simple of a question for a Jewish candidate or a Jewish voter in the U.S. Okay. Thank uh-huh. you for coming to my TED Talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah, because I think the rea- my reaction watching that last night was, okay, why is this, you know, why should the average voter know about this? Right. And I, I thought that was a very good explanation on your part um, as to why this is a thing. Well, thanks. Um, I guess as we just kind of parse through more more of the debate, there were some discussions about domestic policy and kind of experience again. You know, the typical... Sure things that come through, um, Elizabeth Warren and Mike Blo- went after Mike Bloomberg again. One thing that she did additionally, and people have been saying that, oh, Elizabeth Warren needs to attack Bernie Sanders right? Um, because she is the next most progressive candidate. And
1: she has the most to lose from his success, right, frankly.
0: Right. And uh, she didn't really do that. She did. No, she
1: kind of stuck to attacking Bloomberg. I and, mean, and there, I think- yeah, there were a couple of moments where... You know, she said, you know, I, you know, I'm great friends with Bernie Sanders, however, you know, that kind of thing. But especially in contrast to how aggressively and frequently she went after um, Mike Bloomberg in the last debate, her blows toward Bernie Sanders are demonstrably softer. uh, And I think part of that is just because she agrees with a lot of his policies.
0: And I think that's something that people Maybe pundits are missing that they're saying, oh, why isn't she trashing him? Why isn't she going after him? It's a dangerous game to play. And I don't think she's playing, you know, the whole spectacle. I think a lot of people want, you know, like fireworks from these debates and she'll give them to you. Ask Mike Bloomberg. (laughs) But like for her. As a progressive, I think that she realizes that she supports many of the ideas that Bernie's championing. Her idea, instead of just to tear Bernie down, was to say, "You know, I think I'd be better at getting stuff done." Sure, you know, I would. Kind of the more pragmatic, right? She talked about she'd be like, "I'd be able to get Medicare for All done," and we Mm -hmm. know that Bernie, as he said, he wrote the damn bill. um, And that's something that you know he's been attacked. How will you pay for it? How will you pay for it? And Warren, who is, you know, famous for having a plan for everything, he said, oh, I'll be able to get this done. I'll be able to get these other progressive issues done. I'm the candidate who's not only the most electable, but I'm the one that will be able to work. She said that progressives have one shot. And so she's presenting herself as the best alternative or the best uh, case scenario for progressives um, as think opposed to Bernie.
1: That was one of the most hectic moments of the debate, though, when um, Bernie Sanders was asked yet again about how he's going to pay for his health care policy and then on mass, All six other candidates on that stage just started shouting over each other, and it was, oh my gracious. Like, it just. I think the
0: moderators (laughs) had to tell Pete Buttigieg to stop talking. It was was not a good moment because he. Um
1: yeah and and it was just you know when candidates agree to a certain number of debates and the dnc sets this up and you know who's going to moderate each debate and what location and blah 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 there's a lot of like logistic planning that happens and part of that is the rules of the debate how much time you get for your opening statement how much time you get for your response what happens when you're name checked how much time you get for a rebuttal all of that stuff and it like immediately flew out out the window yeah it was so frustrating like um you know you were You know, as you're watching this and you're saying, "Okay, you're, you know, a week out from Super Tuesday, you're a couple weeks out from Michiganders going to the polls. This is the last debate before Super Tuesday. This is the last debate that Michigan voters get to see before they head to the polls. And it just was messy and chaotic. And I don't necessarily know that messy and chaotic is is the descriptors that you want to kind of get more people to show up at the polls or to help people decide if they haven't yet picked a candidate, which is the case for a lot of of voters, particularly moderate voters. Um, It was you just kind of kept hoping for things to simmer down a little bit. You know, we, we like excitement as television viewers, and you want things to be, you know, kind of dramatic, but you want there to be substance as well, and not just sounding like you have a soccer team of children in the back of your car, and you're trying to drive them somewhere. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, there's a difference between, you know, organized chaos and just sheer mayhem. Um, and it really didn't settle down until after, for sure, the first commercial break. So it was almost an hour before any, any you know, simmering down happened. I don't know how many people who were undecided voters stuck around for that calmness to appear. I think that turned off a lot of voters that were genuinely trying to make up their mind before they headed to the polls.
0: Right. And, you know, the vibe was kind of weird throughout the evening. It wasn't just the candidates, but I mean, even the crowd, it was, it it, it seemed, you know, almost like, oh, this is a different type of crowd. I, so... I remember, you know, distinctly Bernie Sanders said, oh, we're going to tax billionaires mo- more, and that got booed. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, this is. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder, like, how many, you know, tickets, you know, a certain Mike Bloomberg might have paid for in this crowd. Not to go all crazy on it, but it just, it did see, and Elizabeth Warren also received some boos, uh And it's just something that, you know, we hadn't really seen before. Right. Um, and yeah, I, w- I was reading that, you know, the cheapest ticket started at $1,750. And I was like,
1: "Ah, That's a big price tag. That that might
0: might have played a role into it as to why some of the uh, candidates who would raise taxes on some of the uh, wealthier uh, people might not be as popular in that crowd. Um, But it it was something that I think, and, and you mentioned this, that we won't have another debate to March
1: 15th to March 15th right. now and
0: that's uh you have the South Carolina primary right. the Super Tuesday and then we'll have the Michigan primary all 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 done at that point so right. um I think I think that if this is the lasting image it, might be a bit grim yeah but um (laughs) i think things certainly by the next debate have to be at least cleared up because as we go into the south carolina primary where joe biden is still a favorite although it's a very he's a very marginal favorite now right it's it's
1: within the the marginal compared to
0: beforehand where it was considered a lock that he would be the candidate to carry south carolina now bernie sanders and even tom steyer have creeped up on him and uh i think in super tuesday where California and Texas and other states, including Massachusetts, uh, Senator Warren's home state in Minnesota, Senator Klobuchar's home state, it'll be something to no, wear No,
1: flip that. Senator Klobuchar is from Minnesota.
0: Did, did I say that?
1: <laughs> you did. You said Warren. That's okay. Warren is from Massachusetts. My bad.
0: Um, yeah. But yeah. But like, no, I, I think that something... that's
1: a good point of... You know, will all seven of these candidates be on the next debate stage? I don't know.
0: I, would, um, I, I doubt it. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, you know,
1: Super Tuesday is going to be um, very telling, I think, particularly for some of those candidates that are polling Significantly lower than others, uh, you know. It may be a reality check of, all right, do we have the funding to continue? Is it worth, you know, continuing to split the vote? That may be going to to another candidate, going into the the convention in the summer. There may be some difficult conversations being held in like the Tom Steyer camp or the Amy Klobuchar camp of, all right, this is how many delegates we have or don't have, and where do we go from now? So I think that we may see a smaller field in that march 15th debate
0: I, I agree and i think that now so we've seen from the first three states Buttigieg judge and, and sanders tied in iowa and sanders won new hampshire and then sanders blew out nevada and nevada is the most diverse of the first three states and this is the kind of trend that we'll see with the super tuesday states if that continues and we get to march 15th and Things have relatively stayed the same with Sanders doing the best, and Buttigieg uh, behind it. But now we'll have to see because now Mike Bloomberg is on the on the ballot. Sure. We'll have to see if that cuts into uh, Sanders' support, which I don't know if it will because they're polar opposites when it comes to it, or if it cuts into Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar, and Pete Buttigieg's support. So. It's something to keep keep an eye out for. How long, you know, do you think that the Democratic Party as a whole can continue with this many candidates? Um, because if we get to the convention and it's still being contested.
1: It's going to be a mess. It's
0: going to be a mess. <laughs> and um, this whole, you know, vote blue no matter who uh, slogan that's kind of been parroted out uh, by the DNC in recent years is being put to the test. Because I think that you see a lot of people that if they're on the progressive wing of the party, they do not want to vote for Mike Bloomberg, and if they're in the moderate wing of the party, they do not want to vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, and it, it kind of asks the question, like, really, okay, is does vote blue no matter who really extend to everybody or is the argument well they're not really blue because I know that Mike Bloomberg uh, is not appealing to a lot of the more progressive uh, voters. But he's
1: got a lot of money. He does have a lot of money. Yeah Yeah. no I think it will be interesting and you know it's a good thing to to remind people that um, though he was on the debate stage in Nevada and in South Carolina last night, Bloomberg has not been on the tickets in those states. So it will be interesting to see you know, how that turns out on Super Tuesday, where he is in the mix on the ballots for the first time. So it'll be something to look forward to.
0: Okay. Well, I think on that note, uh, hopefully... Our podcast was not as chaotic as the actual <laughs> debate, and we need to clear some stuff up for you. But, um, you know, I think we'll we'll podcast again probably after Super Tuesday, Absolutely. Uh, even though there won't be a debate, but we'll, we'll break down the results and kind of what the primary looks like going forward. Um, so until then, uh, for Audra Gamble, I am Arpan Lobo, and this has been another episode of From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast of the Holland Center.